today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. is just an angel. And you think, well, you can't say he's just an angel. He is just an angel. He is a fallen angel. He is a powerful angel. But he is just an angel. It's not the yin-yang, the power of darkness and the power of light, you know, God against Satan. No, God is the one. And he is an angel. He is creation of God. And one other angel comes, apprehends him, chains him with a chain, puts him in the bottomless pit, shuts him up, and sets a seal on him for 1,000 years. But the weirdest thing to me in all of that is that last sentence. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. As we go through life as Christians, knowing that the enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy can be really scary. Pastor David is putting some perspective on our relationship with our enemy today. He is just an angel. He was created by God and will not win against him. He may seem like he's having victory over the world right now, but the day is coming. We are specifically told in God's word that he'll be defeated. Scripture doesn't fail. It's true and right. It is the word of God, and we can stand on that. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 20 with today's edition of The Open Word. Calvary Chapel, I believe universally, would be described as premillennial, pre-tribulation rapturous. We believe that there is absolutely nothing between now and the time of the rapture that biblically needs to take place. We believe that prophetically at any moment, at any time, and we which are alive remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's where we stand on this. You can believe a different view, but I think that you need to take a whole lot of Scripture, spiritualize it, I believe personally, twist it, turn it around to make it fit any other way. Now, you may be here tonight, and you may be offended by what I said. Don't be offended. Just if you believe another way, then find out why you believe that way. Is it because somebody taught you that that way, or because you just simply read the simplicity of the Word of God And God is able to do something exceedingly abundantly above all that you can imagine or think. Look at it that way and see. So let's bring us up to speed here as we get into chapter 20. Back up to speed as far as all these situations, all these events that have taken place in the book of Revelation, all the events that we've seen thus far. And if we take this plain, straightforward interpretation of the Word of God, which again, I believe is always the best, unless it's deemed otherwise, then we find this following chain of events going on. Back up into chapter 19 and continuing on into 20, we see some events going on right now for us here in this place. Prophetically, the event that needs to take place before the rapture is not there. 
Everything that we can see, everything that we read, there's nothing that needs to take place. It appears to be logical with the events of the book of Revelation since the end of chapter 3 all the way until chapter 19. We don't see the church at all. So we see the church in chapters 2 and 3, and then in chapter 4, it said to John, John, come up here, and I was up in heaven in a moment. And we don't read anything about the church, again, until we read about the marriage supper of the Lamb that we read in chapter 19 last week when we looked at that. Following the rapture of the church, as the church escapes the wrath of God, and the Word of God says that we are not, as His children, we're not appointed to wrath. Discipline? Absolutely. Could we go through some tribulation? Absolutely. We'd be foolish to look at history and not realize that it can get a whole lot worse here before the great tribulation comes. But I believe, again, following the rapture of the church, that's when the wrath of God is going to really be poured out. The tribulation period then begins. Seven years of intense pain and suffering as Satan, his beast, and the false prophet seem to have complete control over the earth. And yet also during the same time, God begins pouring out his wrath upon the earth. We see that in chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, and in chapter 16. We can see those things just almost progressing along. And as I've said, not all of these are chronological in order. Some of them are happening right on top of each other, but we see this wrath of God coming. Then during this seven-year period, we have the first three and a half years in this relative peace, though there's a lot of things that are going on. There's a lot of change. It's peace enough that Israel's going to be able to build its temple again because Scripture's Old Testament and New speak about the sacrifice is coming back into play. So we know that a temple needs to be rebuilt during that time. But at the end of that first three and a half years, the beast then sets himself and his image up to be worshipped. And if you're going to survive during this time, you have to take that mark of the beast, again, on your forehead or on your arm. That's found in chapter 13, where he speaks again, the mark being the number of a man, 666. Now, what exactly and how exactly that is, as we went over that several weeks ago, I told you it's hard to determine exactly what that 666 actually interprets. And we looked at a lot of things, just difficult to understand. But one thing I know, you will not accidentally take that mark. You must give yourself to allegiance to the beast. You have to worship the beast. You have to be obedient to the beast. That's the only way that you're going to get it. You will not accidentally get it. They will not sneak it on your MasterCard. Okay, just just thought I'd let you know that. Now, somewhere during this time frame, there have already been this 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from 12 tribes. As we look at this, these Jews now have been marked by God to be witnesses, to be evangelists to the world all around them. We find that back in chapter 7. And there also arises, during the same time frame, these two witnesses. And we spoke about possibilities. Personally, I just believe it's Moses and Elijah. If you believe it's somebody else, that's fine. I believe it's Moses and Elijah. They do these great wonders in the world, you know, before all the people. And then they're killed because their testimony for Christ and for the kingdom of God, they're killed and they're left on the ground, but their bodies don't rot. And they're amazed by that. And then God brings them back to life. And then they get, in essence, raptured. They get drawn up to heaven right before the eyes of everyone. That's found in chapter 11. 
And then at this point, it's that the whole world system, that mystery Babylon, finally at the end of the seven years, it goes into complete chaos, completely collapses. And we saw that in chapter 17 and chapter 18. And in the midst of that chaos, I believe that's where we find the second coming of Christ. I believe this is pretty clearly described in chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, that he comes during that time. The battles are are ready to go. They're ready to come against Israel. They're ready to destroy it. And this battle comes. And the next thing we see is that great battle between Christ and those that are with him against the kings of the earth against the beast and against the false prophet. The armies are destroyed, their flesh is given to the birds of the air, the beast and the false prophet then are cast into that lake of fire, they're done away with, they are no more the end of the story for them. Now we move into chapter 20. So the great battle has been done, the kings and all their soldiers have been destroyed, the beast and the false prophet thrown alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Now we get to chapter 20. And however long that battle lasts, we don't know. But as we get into chapter 20, we find that an angel now comes and lays hold of Satan. Listen to what it says in chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. John writes, And then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. So there's no doubt about who the dragon is. And Satan, the devil, they're all the same. That serpent of old. And he bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into a bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nation no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. I think it's absolutely amazing. Who is it that lays hold of Satan? An angel. It's not that Christ had to come and arm wrestle the devil. No, it's an angel of God, powerful enough to come and apprehend Satan, chain him up, cast him into that bottomless pit. An angel of the Lord, not even a named angel. Many times we have such great fear of Satan and what he can do. He has no more power than any other angel. Now, is he an angel of wickedness? Absolutely. Does he have power? Only the power that God gives him to have and allows him to have. And if one angel can come and apprehend him, then man, what could 10,000 angels on your side do against him? So again, when we look at this, we realize, you know, he is a lot of air, but he is just an angel. And you think, well, you can't say he's just an angel. He is just an angel. He is a fallen angel. He is a powerful angel, but he is just an angel. It's not the yin-yang, the power of darkness and the power of light, you know, God against Satan. No, God is the one, and he is an angel. He is creation of God, and one other angel comes, apprehends him, chains him with a chain, puts him in the bottomless pit, shuts him up, and sets a seal on him for 1,000 years. But the weirdest thing to me in all of that is that last sentence. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. That's one of the questions I want to ask when I get there. I mean, I've got my own ideas of why, but it just seems, wow, couldn't it all be just done right then? Couldn't it it just be finalized then? But God's plans are not my plans. His ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. Amen? 
So he's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He's got it laid out right before us. Look at verse 4 and 5 and 6. John says, and then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. These that had been alive during the time of the great tribulation. This isn't the church at this point in time. These are the martyred saints that again had either had come to faith during that time of the tribulation. And because they came to Christ during that time of the tribulation, it cost them their life. And it's interesting, we hear so many people say, you know, well, if the rapture is going to happen first, then I can believe in Christ after the rapture and that'll be fine. And I think how foolish even of a thought that is. If you're not willing to come to Christ now when the relative freedom that we have Do you really think that under the pressure and under the chance of your life being taken and the tribulation and the trials that you're going to go to, you're really going to come to Christ then? No, now is the day of salvation. Now is that accepted time. For those that do come to Christ, because suddenly they see what's going on, they recognize that my mom who had been sharing the gospel with me all of my life, She was right, it happened. And they do come to Christ. It's going to cost them their life. And during that time, and it's interesting, when I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded, you think of some of the deaths that are being caused right now in the Middle East. Beheading is a big way. But in actuality, that word in the Greek means executed. But because execution, even during that time, more often was beheading. But they had been executed for the gospel. And so during that time, the time of Satan's imprisonment, these thrones of judgment are sat up, and those who had been martyred during the tribulation period, they're resurrected now, and they're seated on those thrones. Well, who are they judging then? The rest of the world. Because at the end of that battle in 19... Not everyone were destroyed. Those who were involved in the battle were killed. But there are other people on the earth. There will be other people even during this time. And so there is going to be this season of the judgment and of ruling over and reigning over. And that's primarily what it means. Now, this is the thousand-year reigning and ruling time of Jesus Christ. And for those that say, no, that's already happened or we're happening now, let me bring you to a couple of passages that speak about that time from the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 2. You can keep your place in Revelation. We'll be back there in a moment. But in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, the Lord speaks through Isaiah the prophet as he writes, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountains of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. 
Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let me ask you this. When was this written? During the time of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was prophesying to the people that they were about to go into captivity because of their sins, but he also brings hope that, hey, you know, there's going to be restoration. So let me ask you this. In the restoration that he's speaking of here, is he lying to them? Or as a prophet, is he prophesying, as we've shared many times, a prophet speaks of those things near, but more often than not, there is a further declaration, a more complete declaration of his prophecy that's going to be fulfilled. I believe that that's what we see here in Isaiah's prophecy. Though he's prophesying to the children of Israel during his time that God is going to restore him, they were never restored like this. They had never got this good for them. And I believe that, again, this is a prophetic declaration of that thousand-year reign of Christ where all the nations are going to come to him. And there won't be war anymore during that thousand-year reign. There's not going to be war during that time, during that time. Again, in Isaiah chapter 11, beginning in verse 4, we read that, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. See, that sounds like what we read back in chapter 19, when again, Christ shall come, his eyes like a fire of flame, on his head many crowns, the word of God, out of his mouth a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. But Isaiah goes on here. He says, righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, faithfulness the belt of his waist. Verse 6, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. And the nursing child shall play with the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Has that happened yet? Not even close. Not even close. This is something that's yet going to happen. So has the Lord prophesied something that that is just spiritualized, or is he prophesying something that thousand years where the peace of God will reign in such a powerful, powerful way? that we'll see these kinds of things. Jeremiah speaks the same thing. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6, we read this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Again, speaking of the reigning, ruling of Christ. Now we could go on and on and on and on. As a matter of fact, there's over 400 verses 
that deal with the reigning of Christ in this kind of a format, in this kind of a way where, again, the world is brought into peace and there's peace that surrounds the land and Christ is reigning and ruling. It has not happened yet. None of it's been fulfilled yet, but I believe that the time is going to be. When we come back to Revelation chapter 20, This thousand years has been there. Satan's been bound for a thousand years. The martyrs have been reigning and ruling with Christ for a thousand years. Now in Revelation 20, verse 7, we read these words. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. Now you think, now wait a minute. Isn't that confusing? Isn't that what was going on over in chapter 19? Gog and Magog and the battle and everything, what's going on there? This is another one. What happened in 19 happened before the thousand years. Now we're after the thousand years. Satan has been released. How many people are on the earth at that point in time? We have absolutely no way of knowing other than that one little verse that says, whose number is as the sand of the sea. In a thousand years, how many people could populate the earth at that point in time? And during that time, they will be under the forced rule of Christ. He will rule them with what? A rod of iron. It'll be a forced rule. Everyone will have to bow to him during that time. But when Satan is released, Satan will then rally the troops and in essence say, do you really want to follow him? Come and follow me and we'll take over and we don't have to follow him anymore. So he rallies the troops again. And so they began to build this great army because there's going to be this one last great rebellion. Look at what it says in verse nine. And so they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints, the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Let me ask you right now, how long was the battle? It never happened. It's kind of like they got there, and before anything happened, it says, then fire came down from God and totally destroyed them. So when we look up in chapter 19, that was a war. There was a battle going on. But in chapter 20, there's no battle. They come, they prepare to go against Jerusalem and the thrones that have been set up, going against the rule of Christ. And before it even happens, God sends down fire from heaven and devours them. Verse 10, and the devil, the one who deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet already are. And they will be tormented until they are annihilated. Is that what it says? Why do people believe that it is annihilation, that when you die, that it just won't go anymore? When the Bible says, no, there is tormenting forever and ever. Where Jesus says, it's a place where the worm does not die. I mean, just this continual torment that's going on there. And that's where the devil is. That's where the beast, that's where the false prophet is. All of these things going on. The battle never begins. The devil's cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, tormented day and night forever, forever, forever. Open our hearts, change. 
Pastor David Landry has been taking us verse by verse through the book of Revelation, and we know you'll want to come back for more. If you'd like to hear today's message again or listen back through other teachings, you can find them all at theopenword.com under the Teachings tab. We hope today's message has touched your heart, settled some questions you've had, and maybe even caused you to ask a dozen more. If you do have questions, we'd love to do all we can to answer them. Please give us a call at 520-836-9676. We'd love to pray for you, too, and learn more about your journey of faith. Once again, that number is 520-836-9676. We believe that God has given us the church so that we can learn more about Him and about living together in community. Are you a part of a local body of believers? If you're in the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has a special invitation for you. Thanks for listening to The Open Word. If you're in the Casa Grande area and looking for a church home, I'd love to meet you and shake your hand. Welcome you to our community of believers here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. We meet weekly on Saturdays, Sundays, and Wednesdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible. You'll be able to find out more about us and get directions by visiting theopenword.com. And under the links at the bottom of the page, click on Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I look forward to meeting you. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all we have time for today. But join us to learn more from the pages of Revelation right here on The Open Word.